0: I think what's happening is people are starting to reckon with what has changed in their lives, how they live, how they live their life each day has changed. And they're starting to look at what's what's really important to me and, and what matters and what do I want to be doing with my time and You know a lot of us have to work a lot of us want to work so if if we're going to work then why not work for a company that that we feel good about that contributes to something that we care about welcome back everyone to the geeks geezers and googleization show the home of googleization nation where we talk with hr and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business technology and hr here's your host ira wolf
1: Hello, I'm Ira Wolf, and welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network.
2: And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation.
1: If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. On this episode, you're going to hear from purpose consultant Kirsten Ripitau as we discuss purpose driven business for positive impact. She's also the founder of New Commodity, a consulting firm that helps small businesses align clear and authentic purpose to work, positioning them for success and sustainability in the next economy. You will hear how a practical approach to balancing purpose and profit can yield a meaningful and lasting impact on your business and its stakeholders.
2: And Ira, here's something some of our listeners may not know. A few years ago, BetterUp did a survey and they found that 90% of workers would trade money for purpose. And so then they asked a follow-up question was, okay, how much money would you give up for purpose? And this, I think, was the startling thing. They said they'd trade 23% of their future earnings, which came out to be about $21,000 a year that they would trade to have more purpose in the work that they were doing. And then McKinsey, out the middle of 2021, they issued a report on this this topic of purpose and work, and they found that two-thirds of employees were reflecting on purpose, and 50% were even reconsidering the type of work that they do, so even completely shifting from what they may have gone to college for or whatever industry they were currently working in. And as Kirsten would probably suggest, purpose is indeed a new commodity in business.
1: Jason, it's so interesting because just this, well, actually next week, I'll have the privilege of, or I've had the privilege of getting a sneak peek into a new white paper, and next week it'll be released, and I'll be one of their spokespeople. The white paper is called Everywhere Workplace Report, the Avanti Everywhere Place Report. They interviewed about 6,000 people, and their findings are a wake-up call for business, and, and that's certainly what we're going to be talking about with Kirsten. A whopping 71% of respondents said they would prefer to work from anywhere than get a promotion. Only 13% wanted to go back to work. Now, many business leaders might look at that as a where to work or a proximity issue, geographic issue. But it's so much more because the decision is often influenced by personal priorities And those personal priorities are including a shift in life-work integration, which ties perfectly into what Kirsten's talking about, is is purpose. People are reflecting on where they've been, where they want to go, where their family is, how this relates to to energy, less commuting, sustainability. It's also important to note that there's, and I hope we get into this with Kirsten, that there's a significant difference between how men and women and different generations approach these decisions. So it's not a one size fits all when it comes to purpose.
2: That's so well said, Ira. And that's precisely why we're excited to have Kirsten on the show today. This is right in her wheelhouse. And I'm sure she has some amazing answers for us and our audience today on these things. So just a little bit about Kirsten before we bring her on. Throughout her life and career, she's experienced the positive positive and negative impact that businesses can have on individuals, communities, and the environment. And determined that every business can be a powerful source of of positive impact. She started her business, New Commodity. And the mission is to make authentic purpose a practical tool for every business so they can generate impact and drive performance and organizational health. And since 2008, Kirsten has been helping leaders draw tangible connections between vision and operations to make transformation happen. Her background is in business operations, leadership, and organizational strategy, and healthcare, nonprofits, food and beverage, and construction. And before heading down this professional path, Kirsten led groups of teens and adults on wilderness trips across the United States and Canada. She holds a Master's of Science in Management and Organizational Behavior from Benedictine University. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Kirsten Ripitau to the Geeks, Geesers, and Googleization show. Hey, hey guys. Kirsten.
1: Hey, Kirsten. Hi.
2: Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us in, in Googleization Nation today. We can't wait to dive in on this uh, topic of purpose. And so I did a little bio, but we'd love to hear from you. What got you interested in becoming a purpose consultant?
0: It was a little bit of everything that that you just read off about my background. Yeah, I, I started out as a trip guide, and that was kind of my first job. And so I really got deep appreciation for nature and the wilderness around us and power and effect it can have on people and kind of had this deeply ingrained desire to protect it and help people appreciate it. And then I started working for nonprofits and doing things like operations and programming, things like that. And then slowly moved my way into for profit businesses and found that I really missed that mission driven approach. But realized, you know, why why does that have to be exclusively for the nonprofit world? What happens if we bring that to the for-profit world? And then as I was pursuing my masters, I kind of delved into this world of, of CSR. And then that kind of turned into, well, I'm really interested in, you know, something, something that takes social responsibility to the next level for businesses. And that's when I stumbled into the, the rabbit hole of, of purpose driven and I never, never came out. <laughs>
2: Well, and certainly it's a topic right now that is not only really important to individual people, but it should be really important for businesses and business leaders. Can you kind of walk us through what has happened here over the last year or two in particular that has caused purpose to become so important for organizations in terms of how they align their people?
0: Right. Yeah. I've been talking to friends and colleagues and family about this, you know, the the past couple of years, and, you know, we read about pandemics in history, and it seems like just this finite period of time that, you know, is very black and white and easy to define. But when you live through it, you don't, you don't really realize what you're going through as an active participant. And I think what's happening is people are starting to reckon with what has changed in their lives, how they live, how they live their life each day has changed and they're starting to look at what's what's really important to me and and what matters and what do i want to be doing with my time and you know a lot of us have to work a lot of us want to work so if if we're going to work then why not work for a company that that we feel good about that contributes to something that we care about so i, I think that that mental shift is is really apparent, obviously, you know, people are talking about things like the great resignation. And so there's, there's been a lot of movement in in employees and where they're going and, and how they view the companies they work for.
2: That's so true. When you said that statement about when you're living through it, a lot of times we don't exactly realize the full ramifications of, of what's going on. I can just speak personally. My wife and I had twin babies just a couple months in, in May after the pandemic officially started here in the US exactly. in March of 2020. Yeah. So the pandemic babies, the pandemic twins, as we often call them, we, we would think because we were cooped up indoors so long that it felt like, oh, we got to savor every moment because we're getting so much more time together. And my wife and I are like, that's not the case at all. It's been a blur. You know, it's it's hard to segment those different parts of, oh, this was the first year, this was the second year. It's all just one big blur and and you touched on it, I'm sure that a lot of people are feeling like that with work too. Were there any indicators even before the pandemic that people were thinking more about how work fits into their life or integrates into their life?
0: Absolutely, yeah, I think you know even starting as far back as as two thousand eight with you know the the economic crisis that we suffered globally. I think people started to look at you know how are the values of these companies that are that are crashing and kind of rapid succession that led up to the 2008 crisis they're they're looking at you know how how do those values impact me and my day-to-day work when i show up at work and know the things that you know that my company is doing or the things that my company stands for is that is that what i want is that does that feel in line and i think we were already starting to feel this this shift to wanting more meaningful work, right? And and wanting to be better aligned with our own values in our day-to-day work. So I think, you know, in the intro you alluded to, you know, that kind of generational gap and I think part of what's happening is as the as the boomers start to look at retirement, they're also starting to look at their legacy and, you know, what what am I leaving behind? What do, I, what do I want for the next generation of this company? And because that generation is so big, they have such powerful influence over what, how they're looking at legacy. And, and I think that's played a pretty big role in, in how people have responded to you know, their, own, their own work and their values and kind of bringing that, that work-life balance together even more, blurring the line even more willingly.
1: Kirsten, there's there's a couple you mentioned the brought up the generations, but there's also a pretty significant difference with genders in this poll in the survey that I that I mentioned. And this is pretty consistent across there, you know, a lot of women kind of really reflecting many withdrew from the workplace, you know, almost can't remember the exact number, but it was about 4% women that that were participating in the workplace before the pandemic withdrew and 70% Seventy percent of women want a remote or hybrid option where only thirty percent of men do, and part of that's related to how they find purpose in their work. Can you reflect on that at all? I mean, is that just this survey group that we had, or are you saying that's more universal
0: could be i think I think it's more universal when you look at at generations, right? I think, you know, the millennials have proven to us that they are very interested in purpose, right? As I think Jason alluded to in the intro, there's this whole group of people who are willing to give up was 23% of their income in exchange for purpose. As far as gender goes, you know, I, I think part of it is just, you know, socially women have had that role of being the You know caretaker when it comes to children and that that's starting to shift of course you're starting to see more and more stay-at-home dads and you're starting to see a lot more you know positive messaging around you know parenting and things like that for both men and women but you know i so i think part of it for women is creating that balance of being able to be there for our families being able to show up at work as our full selves and and to be able to perform really well in, in both parts of our lives and to not have to spend so much psychological time separating those two worlds. Especially, you know, as, as I work from home. And you know, last year my son was schooling from home. And so he would see me in, you know, meetings and hear the topics I was talking about. And, you know, he was there for the stress, he was there for the happy times, the fun times really just all kind of blended together and you know i think for me and probably for a lot of other men and women we realize we want our kids to see us in our careers doing doing well and doing good and being happy
1: i think this aligns too with again with the purpose and and i want to get into another question but following up on the men and women men find that they almost need to be in the workplace because of the competition about as far as getting recognized for promotion, which would align with what's your purpose? How how does that align with your job title? Where women found that, and again, better natural collaborators and so forth didn't feel the need that they had to be physically present. There wasn't necessarily that I need to keep my eye on the competition. And, and, and again, so there was a couple other aspects to that, but that leads into this other question is we're talking about, and I know your your niche and your interest similar to mine, is small, medium sized businesses, privately owned or nonprofits, where there mm-hmm. there is a purpose. There's there's that alignment. But do you see a difference between the leaders and the frontline workers? Uh, leaders obviously are starting this, you know, start a business and run a business and they have a mission and a purpose and and there's a reason for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But now you're talking about a line worker who comes and it's an hourly paycheck. Right. Uh, how how do we capture how can businesses capture their purpose and and hire people and, or and not hire people with the purpose but help people find that purpose so that they stay longer that there's a reason right. for them to stay in more than just the job
0: right yeah that's that's an excellent question i think you know especially founder led companies right it's it's very easy for leadership at the top to be very purpose driven but if if they're not genuinely seeking purpose for their employees and figuring out how to align that it's not trickling down any further than leadership and when that's the case it almost doesn't matter if if you're purpose driven or not if the people on the front lines doing the work aren't driven by that purpose so one of the things we look at is what's the what's the purpose of the organization And then how do you start to tap into each individual's sense of purpose? And how can you start to align their day-to-day work with this larger purpose, but also help them fulfill their own? And in the ideal cases, right, that the two will be very well aligned and, you know, managers, supervisors, leaders won't have to do a ton of work to make that alignment happen. Right. But in a lot of cases there, it's not going to be a perfect match. So, what does the company do to help you not only pursue the company's purpose and help them realize how they're contributing to that but also to pursue their own right if there's something that they're passionate about something that they care deeply about can you give them time off to pursue that can you give them special projects that, that help them connect with that piece of what they care about, right? Even if it's not you know, a direct one-to-one correlation with what the company is concerned with. So it's just about personalizing the work experience for each person and then to genuinely help them see how their contribution to the company is making an impact.
2: That reminds me, Kirsten, of something Google did a few years ago when they introduced the concept of 20% time for their staff, Mm -hmm. which basically was go play in a sandbox, whatever is of interest to you, go do it. And unbeknownst to the CEOs, not only was that a great value add for the employees, but it actually added value to the business because many of the products then that were dreamed up came out of the 20% time. That was the fascinating part was they said the 20% time is yours. It doesn't have to be on projects related to work, but most of the employees chose willingly, to use that 20% time to come up with innovative products and services that actually helped advance Google further. And so, you know, I know we still have a lot of leaders that think this whole talk about purpose is kumbaya. Let's gather around the, the campfire and sing together. Right. But This is a very real commodity is the word that you use. Absolutely. Very important and drives the bottom line numbers. So how, how do you help some of those leaders uh, understand that that this isn't just something about making people feel good and giving them the warm and fuzzies, but it actually does have a tangible impact on the health of your business.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you know the Google example is is great because it it shows just how much value comes out of creativity and allowing people to one have maintain the right level of energy and not burn out. But also allowing that them time to, to be creative and and to think of you know new and innovative ideas for the business. And when that happens willingly, wow, you've got a, a pretty great formula. You know, I think one of the things that we look at when we think about you know how how do we talk to leaders who aren't quite sure that that purpose is is practical? We talk about the numbers, right? So as of right now, I think the the planet is using. We're we're on track to use three times the amount of resources the planet can 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 create can replenish by 2050 if we keep on the track that we're on, right? So unless a business's long term plan is to go out of business due to lack of resources, it's in their best interest to start to look at things like what's our purpose? Why are we here? How can we be how can we behave more sustainably, right? And the other piece is, you know, how just where the generations are going we're about to transfer i think it's what's the number I have 24 trillion 24 trillion dollars of wealth is about to transfer from millennials or from boomers to the millennial generation millennials are very interested in purpose driven organizations organizations that have a social positive social impact a positive environmental impact right and so if companies want that talent and want that level of passion to be with them for the long term they're going to have to start to get in in line and 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 start to pursue these concepts and think about what does that mean for us and how do we show up genuinely in that space so that we can attract the right people and and have the right talent because absolutely their competitors are going to be doing it and, and so it, and I think that's another reason that I think of this as a commodity is that, you know, eventually if new commodity goes out of business, because it's just not needed, that would be the ideal situation for me. Right. Is, you know, we go out of business because purpose-driven is just the way people do business. They don't need extra help leaders know how to do it and it's, it's the norm. Right. So, so those are the kinds of things we look at when we talk about purpose being very practical
2: that's so fascinating what you brought up and alluded to the concept of being a purpose-driven organization is eventually going to be table stakes right not going to be the icing on top of the cake it's going to be the cake itself and if you don't have it then you're going to struggle to find talent right coming right around the corner
0: right yeah and and i think a lot of people think about you know profit well if i if i'm purpose-driven then i can't also be profit driven. The two need to be in balance, right? Because obviously, a company has to be profitable to survive, right? And if they want to survive quarter to quarter, they've got to be profitable. But if they want to thrive long term, and really grow, be a leader in their space, be set up to be innovative, and, you know, to reach a lot of these vision statements that we see, they're going to have to be purpose-driven as well. And we've seen, you know, a lot of numbers are telling us that purpose-driven companies are outperforming even the S&P 500 by a landslide. So it's the level of performance that happens in a purpose-driven company is, is just light years beyond what, you know, your more kind of typical company is able to perform at. And it's for some of the reasons we've already talked about.
1: Hey, Kirsten, sorry if my mic was off. Where can it? You know, there's so many companies. I mean, I'm sure that they've they've talked about we have a purpose, we have a new mission statement, we have a new value statement. You know, they get the posters, they have the, the rah-rah sessions, those kumbaya sessions, as as Jason talks about. Yeah. And then it sort of falls flat because this isn't something you, this isn't just a strategy that you say, well, we, we've come up with this purpose-driven statement. We've come up with this and, every, and everybody memorizes it and they go about that and they have the rah-rah meetings every morning. How does a company really instill this? How do they really trans, because this is really culture. This isn't, uh, I mean, it's tangible in some respects, but most companies don't approach it that way. So how can a, especially a small business that may be in a more traditional, even the trades, more traditional business like that, how can they become a purpose-driven business?
0: Right. Yeah. I think part of the way i learned how to approach that was by being in the construction industry right where where it's you know very practical and down to earth and you know show me how to do it don't just tell me what it is and so done is we've looked at things like operations right so operations are really what drive culture i think a lot of leaders feel like they have no control over their culture or culture is this big kind of indescribable untouchable thing that they don't know what to do with but really, it's it's just the outcome of your operations. What are your practices? What kinds of things are you rewarding? How do you do the things you do? And and what shows up in your budget as priorities? Right. All of these things start to create what is ultimately your culture. So I think you know that's um, that's part of what what we're looking at when we when we talk about purpose and and how it drives culture. And we look at where. Where in the operations can we help purpose show up, right? So starting starting big, here's our purpose. What do we do? And then we work down from there to to really embed purpose into all of the operational areas of a company. so that it, it's not just on a poster, it's not just at the top of an agenda, you know, every week, right? it's It's embedded in the way things work at the company think that's what differentiates companies who do the, you know, quote, unquote, greenwashing, as we've we've heard, right, as opposed to really, truly being purpose driven and, and having a positive impact.
1: Can you give an example of, you know, and it could be large corporation or, or mm-hmm. you know, if it's not confidential, a client that you were working with that has a, a purpose driven culture that's working?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So one of my, my favorite examples is one of a seafood company who, when we started doing the the purpose work with them and they're the two founders. And at first they, they both thought separately of each other. They both thought that seafood sustainability should be their purpose. Right. But then when we, when we talked it through and really talked about what they care about, what their company does, what they stand for, They realized that really seafood sustainability is part of how they wanna do business, but that's not why they're in business. That's not their purpose. Their purpose is to develop next generation of leaders, not just for their own company, but just in general. And so really what they wanted to focus on was, who are we hiring? Are we hiring people who maybe don't have the same opportunity as others, right? Are we giving a voice to an opportunity to those who might not otherwise have it? And then once they get in the door, how are we training them? How are we teaching them about customer service and leading other employees and business management and, you know, all these, all these other areas of their business. And then they really started to get true to their purpose and really started to become recognized for what they were doing, even by their customers, right? Their regulars who would come in for lunch every day, they start to notice that, wow, these kids who work here and they, and a lot of times they were kids are, you know, high school, college age kids and, and they're wonderful. And, and the, the customers notice that and they enjoy it and they keep coming back because of it. Right. So that's one example of how, when, once you really articulate your purpose and you embed it into your operations, stakeholders take note and, and they stick around and they want to, they want to see your business through, they want to support your business. So it's pretty powerful stuff really.
1: I love how you, the example that you gave, because so often it's, we're a small business, we just hire part-time people, you know, we really don't have a career ladder that they can provide, but teaching people some basic leadership skills, mm-hmm. or as I brought up in an interview yesterday, and this was through the trades, I said, helping people become entrepreneurs. You know, they somebody has a gig a hobby or they want to start their own business and it might be a gig business. It might be on Etsy or Upwork or something on that regard, helping them with the business skills to be able to do that. And no, it may not keep them for ten or twenty years on the job, but that's a mindset that, that owners have to get beyond. Because right. I'm not sure there are any five or ten or or five, even five, but certainly ten and twenty year careers anymore in the same place. But the the example of leadership or entrepreneurship or or just basic business skills is is going to be so so critical. Kirsten, right. I hope you can stick around for just a few minutes here. We need to take a quick sixty second break. You are listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Thank you for being part of the Googleization Nation. Geek Skeezers and Googleization is now part of the People Forward Network, which is what we're talking about today how to be a People Forward Network. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
3: Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well-prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future. How you can begin to think about opportunity the right way.
2: And we're back. Hey, Kirsten, one of the things yep. I wanted to ask you is we had a client a few months ago that started talking about becoming a certified B as in boy corporation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was the first time I had heard of that kind of a concept. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what a certified B corporation is yeah. to listeners and why that's important and why many organizations are seeking that certification?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a growing world. Actually, B Lab, which is the nonprofit behind the certification, B Lab US and Canada just announced yesterday that they're seeing they've seen a thirty-eight percent increase in the number of applications they're getting for companies who want to be certified B Corps over the last couple of years. So so it's great news. It's a growing movement, it's global. It's something that I'm personally really excited about. And basically what it means is your company has gone through a rigorous third party review of things like how you treat your employees and your people practices and your environmental impact and your governance, things like that, that, that really measure what's what's the positive impact that, that you can have. And it certifies you once you get to a certain score within that application, right? So it's a series of questions. And the really cool thing is that any company can go in and complete the the B assessment and see where they can improve, right? So even if they don't end up wanting to pursue the certification, they can still do the assessment and see, you know, how are we doing in these certain areas of our business and where can we improve? And then we can help get you to the place of improving in those areas you want to, if it is, indeed something that you want to pursue that you want to pursue that B Corp certification and one of the benefits of that is to avoid you know what i mentioned earlier about you know companies who get tagged for greenwashing right or just basically having really good marketing and seeming like they do good but really their operations are pretty much the same and they just have these little like one off programs here and there that that look pretty good but in reality, the, you know, full scale operations of their business is not having a positive impact. In in fact, in a lot of cases, it's having the opposite, right. So that that certification is just one way to tell your suppliers and your partners and your customers and your employees that that you are committed to doing good as your business does well. So that's the short version, right? So there's there's also a legal structure now that a lot of states, I think almost all, maybe not all yet, but a lot have adopted that you can, you can be a benefit corporation, which is different than a certified B Corp. So that's probably a whole other episode, but
2: thank you for (laughs) sharing that because, (laughs) because I mean, I think all of us, I know I have some at the top of my mind, the great places to work awards Mm. that are often thrown around. We all probably can think of some, where we were like, really,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that organization got the award and thinking, I wonder if this has to do more with marketing efforts right, and right. things than it does to actually, you know, upholding certain standards right. and having independent measures on these things. And so it sounds like what you're sharing is certified B Corps is, is an actual like empirical, you know, validated method through a third party for basically assigning and saying, yeah, this place is a great place to work because it not only cares about you as a person it does care about the community and we can certify these things as an independent agency because we have data around it. And so I think that's a good point for our listeners to take away today too, is this isn't just certified B Corps isn't a fan contest or something you pay for. It's something you have to earn by having the right practices in place that matter the most to your people and your stakeholders.
0: That's right yeah and even you know some of it's it's hard to pass right they don't make it easy um so it's it's definitely not you know a fan club it it takes time and effort to to pass the assessment so it's it's a rigorous process and, and they want it to to be that way for a reason so
1: that's probably i think that's a reflection of our time because i've been around long enough where we went through Six Sigma and lean manufacturing and then ISO. Everybody mm-hmm. needed a certification, especially in manufacturing. And now if you if you think in the 2020s, 21st century, now we're talking about benefits and purpose. Right, uh, right. Having high standards and and being able to uh, attain that. Kristen, somewhere along the line, and I know we're coming up toward the end here, So, but I, there was... I read somewhere, I don't know if it was an article or someplace, that you talked about different types, different prototypes, oh, different yeah. archetypes of of purpose. Yep. That might help people understand how do they fit into this
2: whole thing.
0: Right. Yeah. So so we built the the archetypes of purpose just because it's such a broad concept that can be really hard for leaders or, or companies as a unit to hone in on what their purpose should be. Right. So like going back to that seafood company, right? It seemed obvious that. Maybe our purpose should be sustainable seafood because that's a thing and that's good, but is it necessarily your purpose? Not not always, right? So what the archetypes do is they they break it down into nine different archetypes. It looks at, are you serving individuals, community, or the environment, right? So that you can start to think about which of those audiences do we care the most about or do we serve best? And then look at it from, you know, how how are we serving them? Are we serving them in a way that helps them improve, grow, live a more sustainable life or, you know, have more sustainable products or, right? So it's kind of this grid that that helps companies hone in on, okay, well, now we at least know our archetype so what do we do from there now it becomes a lot easier to pinpoint and articulate a purpose that's very genuine and authentic to the company as opposed to just being pulled out of thin air because well we're a seafood company so let's just say we're about seafood sustainability becomes much more genuine and articulate
2: and ira like you mentioned i know we're, we're getting up against time here one of our favorite segments, Kirsten, that we love to do before we let our guests go is quick little lightning round. Uh-huh. Uh, just a couple, two or three questions that are fun to get to know you a little bit better and love help it. our audience get to know you better, too. All right. I'm so, ready. Um, Ira, do you have a couple of those questions ready to fire up and throw Kirsten's way?
1: I do. So, yeah, this is the fun part. This is what we don't, what we don't know or what other people don't know about Kirsten. It's another title for it. So, uh, what was your childhood nickname?
0: It was Pleak, spelled P-L-E-A-Q-U-E, <laughs> which is even more complicated than the way my first and last name are spelled. Got that from a cousin who, when he was little and I was born, he couldn't pronounce my name. And so he called me Keek. And then as we got older, he thought pleek was funnier. So it morphed into Pleak and then it stuck. So... <laughs>
1: So I, I know you do a, little, a lot of speaking, and somewhere I think we crossed paths years ago. You reminded yes, me right. yesterday when we did that. I'm still trying to figure out. I know where it was, but it was it was a long time ago. It, yeah. Um, yeah. What What was your hardest moment as a speaker?
0: It was the first time I walked into a construction company and was speaking to a group of you know, and it's it's stereotypical, but it was all men i think there were maybe three women in the room so and it was really intimidating and you know i thought for sure you know like i would scan the crowd and see like these big burly guys and i'd be like oh yeah but he's not gonna like me he's not he's not gonna be here for what i have to say <laughs> and you know it really changed my perspective and it helped me realize like really can't judge a book by its cover because some of those you know some of the burliest guys that were in the crowd were, you know, the ones who were raising their hand and contributing and asking great questions. And so it was very intimidating at first, but man, did it, you know, really got my feet wet and, and got me into the construction industry and with a lot more confidence than I would have without that experience. <laughs>
1: I definitely can relate to the construction. Is that wasn't certainly an industry that I came from, and and you know maybe I had an advantage being a male. But just a few weeks ago, we did a uh, a meeting with a, a training, a DISC training, if, if for mm-hmm. those people who are familiar oh, yeah. with DISC, with an Amish company, horse horse and buggy Amish, 125. There was like three women in the room, but you'd wonder what did they care about personal development, and it was fascinating because they were so into it even during the breaks they wouldn't leave the, the right. owner who who is into personal development and career development he couldn't get over that it wasn't this rush to go out and you know grab something to eat or or just break they just were they sucked into it so yeah, yeah. you can't you definitely you just can't you never know yeah, yeah.
0: Of, you know for
1: <laughs> sure what's the final question here what's the best advice you ever got but ignored
0: mm, that's a good one I think it was to, the advice was to not pursue my master's and I ignored it. (laughs) The advice was basically, you know, no one cares about a piece of paper. And it's just about whether or not you're good at your job and can do the work. But I just, I love to learn. I love reading. I love writing. Um, So, you know did it more for me really than anyone else (laughs) that I wanted that knowledge. I wanted to suck it in and I I wanted the experience and I did it and definitely don't regret it.
1: Well, we have a lot of similarities there too, because I went back in my fifties and got my master's in leadership and people said, what do you do after you got your doctorate? Now you go back for a master's.
0: Right? Uh, Why
1: would you need that? You already have, you know, the choice was an MBA or a master's and I decided the master's in leadership and, and it was, and ethics, and and it was really critical there. But yeah, no, absolutely. So that, that's a good reason to do it. Go back by yeah. yourself. How can people get a hold of you, Kirsten?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'd love people want to reach out. Kirsten K I E R S T E N at new dash would be probably the the easiest quickest way to to get a hold of me. And they can always visit new dash if they just want to learn more and are curious.
1: And I think you're on LinkedIn as well. so I am, to, yeah. Yeah, you, can,
0: you can always find me there. Them. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Kirsten Ripito there. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I know we have a couple guests saying that uh, if they connect with you, let them know that they were listening to the show. That's how they connected. So it gives you a reason that you're just not getting spammed. On Perfect. Up there. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here, Kirsten. It was great to see you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and this is such a, a wonderful topic. Gave some great tips, and I'm actually going to reference this to someone I was interviewed yesterday on, and, and maybe she'll get and reach out to you and get in touch with you, because it was about how someone in the, how, how companies in the trades can and can find purpose, and how do they attract younger generations and retain actually, them? Yeah,
0: that's really important right now for the, for the industry.
1: Yeah. Any closing words? Any closing comments before we we sign you off here?
0: I'm just grateful to be here, and thanks for for giving me a platform to talk about this it's really important to me and hope to see it become the norm so thanks so much cool. for having me
1: thank you for thanks your so work much, Kirsten. <laughs> so timely jason this is you know again appreciate the introduction or the reintroduction it turns out i kirsten and i crossed paths years ago at a at a conference and uh, she reminded me the other day so again we all lo- lose tracks track of time and and places and faces and and so forth but uh, we had we had connected the topic and especially with my conversation yesterday that I had uh, you know being interviewed for this magazine about organizations and and how you know what can companies do differently is and it was more about career pathing and more than a traditional career path how do you how do you create careers and in a, in an organization that doesn't have multiple jobs it doesn't have a way to progress, they don't have a hundred thousand employees. They may not even have ten thousand employees. They may have fifty employees, and and there's no room at the top to bring people up. And you know, again, she confirmed what what we talked I talked about yesterday was, you know,
2: teaching people leadership, entrepreneurship, helping them just find their way. Absolutely. Now, I think of one of the big pieces she shared today too that I hadn't thought about much was she kept talking about sustainability. And, and I know often for me, when I hear sustainability, I'm thinking about environment, right? What's my carbon footprint? But she touched on it today. Sustainability for organizations also has to do with making sure you're not burning your people out. Making sure you have good operations was the term she used in place to where your people aren't getting burned out. They're able to do their best work. They're tapping into creativity to be able to, to add value to the business And so this whole idea and concept of sustainability goes beyond just the footprint that you're leaving in terms of the environment. It really does start with sustainability of your internal stakeholders. If you don't have sustainability there, then everything externally eventually can crumble over time. And that's what got me really excited when she said, we are now entering a time where this is going to become table stakes. You know the the talk about purpose will no longer just be this is something would be great to do but we don't have time it'll be you won't have people in your organization working for you and with you unless you are putting a lot of these practices into place to be a purpose-driven organization so that got me really excited and was something new that i learned today from her how about you
1: well yeah, we, you know, for how, how long have we talked about people are most important asset and, and people weren't really living it. I mean, it sounded good and was purposeful. And now we've, we've talked about how often, you know, now even with the SEC, I mean, there, if you believe people are your most important asset, how do you measure it? What's the metrics? What's, what's the employee experience? What's your turnover? What's your retention rate? What type of talent are you having? How many job openings do you have? The metrics that sort of got ignored in the past are now becoming so critical. And you're absolutely right that this is this is transformational, that it's just not going to be rhetoric. It's, you just can't throw it up in a poster. You can't put it in your your annual report of what this is that people are going to have to walk the talk. And I think the analogy is so appropriate when you talk about supply chain. Again, you know, we've had so many shortages when, when we as Kirsten talked about purpose being a commodity or treated as a commodity that it's scarce and there's, there's a limited amount. So we have to preserve the people that we have. We have to take care of them. And you're absolutely right. Sustainability is much more than climate change and, and our environment. It, it's about preserving life skills and, you know, McKinsey and Deloitte, and we've about it every week. That's what a people forward network. That's what a people forward organization or a people first organization is. It's, it's about preserving, preserving the human, putting the human back in, in human resources, really treating people with respect and dignity and
2: not just as another cog in the wheel. It's so well said, Ira, and a great way to close this week and, and looking forward to next week's guest too. And so as we get ready to sign off, I'm Jason Cochran, and we want to thank our listeners, Googleization Nation, for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, please do so and leave us a review.
1: And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.